Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. Today, Pastor Ralph brings a message entitled, Faith That Prays for Others. Here's Pastor Ralph. Genesis, in the 18th chapter today, we're talking about uh, faith that keeps on growing, maturing in our faith, in our trust, in our friendship with God, the place where we, we know where we stand with Him, and we know what we can do, and And we know what He'll do for us. Today's message is about faith that prays for others. As we look at this guy, Abraham, uh, he's growing so much in his faith that he's actually willing to argue with God. And uh, he begins to believe that his prayers can impact the culture around him. And uh, he misses it a little bit. He doesn't pray for these people to know the Lord. What he prays is he figures out that God is about to bring judgment on a place called Sodom. And another town called Gomorrah. Now, we get our word sodomy from Sodom. So you get a little feel for what the climate was like spiritually in Sodom. Uh, Next week we're going to actually look at the passage where it deals with uh, rape and murder and all kind of stuff going on in Sodom. And uh, Abraham goes up against the Lord, really, and says, You know what, if there's any righteous people there, wouldn't you spare the whole town? You know, if you can get down to 50 righteous people, uh, wouldn't you spare the whole town from judgment? Because he kind of figures out uh, when God really gets a line on what's going on in Sodom, they're toast. And um, as, as you, you look at this, you, you begin to realize that had Abraham grown a little bit more, maybe he would have figured out, God used me to do something to change Sodom, rather than just this, this argument, spare it or not. And I, I think there's an obvious parallel to, our, to the world we live in. Uh, the culture all around us that's, that's continually degrading itself. Uh, you can realize, if you just take a, a look, good long look at history, that, that uh, Western culture is in the process of self-destructing unless something happens. It, it doesn't even take the judgment of God. Uh, there's a concept in the Bible, it never says this, but I, 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 I think you can read this in. The wages, you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Well, I think that translates to the wages of sin is more sin. You know, you, you, you just uh, immolate, you, you self-destruct, you, you, you go down a path so far and then you go further and further and further and, and pretty soon uh, life becomes intolerable. And so we're going to learn something from Abraham and his life with God in terms of his, his prayers here for the, the town around him. And then I want to take you over in the end of the message to First Peter and see where in the New Testament a similar but more expanded concept of prayer and how it relates to people around us works. Uh, take a look at Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to begin in the middle of the chapter. First part of the chapter uh, deals with these. These uh, it's very it's kind of confusing actually. Three angels show up to announce to Abraham that he and his wife will indeed one year from now have a baby. Now he's a really old man, and so is his wife, and it's a miracle. But it's a miracle God's been promising over and over, and the Lord comes to reinforce it. It describes these people as men, as angels, and one of them as the Lord, all, all three. And, and, and it, so that's confusing. Are they angels? Is this men? Whatever. Uh, this is the one place in the Bible where an angel shows up and doesn't look like some very large person in a glow-in-the-dark white suit of some kind. Uh, they, because Abraham just thinks they're regular people. And he comes out and he says, hey, we'll kill a calf and have a party here. Come on in. And... and uh, and, but, but it becomes confusing when it, when it interplays the words man, angel, and the Lord. And some people actually believe that the, when it says the Lord here, 
it's talking about a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And, and so I don't know how you get into that, but whatever he is, he's dealing with supernatural beings with supernatural power. And among the things they tell him is that your wife is going to have a baby this time next year. And she sits in the tent hiding out and she laughs. She snickers. <laughs> you know, I'm too old for that. Am I going to have pleasure in my old age? Not going to be. And uh, she comes out to serve the food or whatever. And it says the Lord looked at her and said, uh, you laughed at the promise of God. I did not. Yeah, you did. But it's going to happen anyway. And, and just a little, you know, this little message is thrown in for free, I think. Uh, God, in the midst of our unbelief, remains faithful to us. In the midst of our, can't believe that, it's too good to be true. Uh, God is still there to say, I'm, I'm not going to let go of you. And I'm the one who has purpose for your life. I'm the one who's designed meaning for your life. And you may have screwed the whole thing up so bad that you think it's a lost cause. But I'm still here. And, and whatever is going on, I will accomplish the good that I've planned for you. Well, then it moves on, and God begins to talk about Abraham. And the question that I put up for the screen is, when is good news bad? And in short, good news is bad when God's trying to do something good to you, but that reflects the, the, the difficulties that are going to go on in the world around. You know, if there's a heaven, you have to deal with the fact that there's also a hell. If judgment day means that you get to go be with the Lord and, and come to a place of reward, then judgment also means that somebody else comes out the loser for it. Uh, when is good news bad? In verse 16 it says, The men got up from their meal and started on toward Sodom. Abraham went with them part of the way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. For Abraham will become a great and mighty nation. In other words, through the son I'm going to give him, a nation will be born. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. And I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord and do what is right and just. Abraham's children and grandchildren are going to walk in God's goodness. This is, God is blessing this guy, Abraham. He says, then I will do for him all that I have promised. I'm going to make him wealthy. I'm going to give him the land. I'm going to do all this. Verse 20, so the Lord told Abraham, I have heard that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are extremely evil. And that everything they do is wicked. I am going down to see whether or not these reports are true. Then I will know. Now, again, you have a little theological problem because we understand from the rest of Scripture, God is all aware. He knows everything. But he comes here and says, I'm going to go down and check this out. In other words, he's implying to Abraham, I'm going to go down there and, and validate what I already know to be true. And I'm going to bring judgment against these people. He never says that. But he says, I'm going to go down and check it out. And Abraham immediately uh, gets it. If God is going to bless me because of righteousness, he's going to judge them because of unrighteousness. And this question, when is good news bad? Uh, it, it works out this way in your life and mine. There are people that you know that are walking, that you love. And they're walking far away from God. And they're walking in opposition to God. And they're candidates for judgment. They're candidates for judgment. And judgment is coming. You know, when you, you read through the scriptures, we, we read through in Matthew chapter 24, the book of Revelation, these different places, uh, we start to see evidences are around us that we are living in what the Bible calls the last days. The Bible describes a time when, when technology would have advanced incredibly. Uh, the tools and implements of war uh, would be 
uh, uh, stupendous beyond anything that could have been imagined 20 centuries ago when this was written down. And yet these prophets wrote down actually scenarios, described battles, described destruction, and described implements of war uh, that, that would not have been invented for 19 centuries afterwards. And then they said when, when this kind of warfare is happening, when these kind of political alignments are happening, look out, the end is coming. Judgment will be here. And we may all live to see it. But good news for us is that we have the Lord on our side and He'll spare us and He'll take us with Him and all of that. Bad news is, well, everybody who's opposed Him is, is going to be hurting real bad. And so uh, there, there, there becomes something that becomes imperative about caring about other people as we read these words here. Well, it goes on in verse 22. The next question I put up is, how bold should we be? How much do you press God in the midst of this to change the world around you or change people's hearts or whatever? Verse 22 says, the, other two, the two other men went on towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham for a while. And Abraham approached him and said, Will you destroy both innocent and guilty alike? Suppose you find 50 innocent people there within the city. Will you still destroy it and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the innocent along with the guilty. Why, you would be treating the innocent and the guilty exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? I I like this. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? I mean, he's, he's holding God's character up before God. In a sense, he's confronting God with his own word, with his own character. If you're supposed to be the, the righteous judge, you wouldn't do something that looks unrighteous, would you? And it says, the Lord replied, If I find 50 innocent people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Well, let's just talk about this a little bit. This is incredible boldness here. I mean, uh, you know, you're a little afraid to talk to your boss. Here's Abraham coming to the Lord and saying, Hey, whoa, slow down here. What's up? I mean... Get the lesson. It says something to you and I about prayer. But he has courage because God likes people to be straight with him and to pray to him. There's a scripture I want to give you. You could write it down there in your Bible where Abraham first speaks to God. It's John chapter 15, verses 7 and 16. And in that scripture, Jesus is talking and he's talking about prayer. And he says, if we remain close to the Lord. Remember we talked last week where where the, the, the Lord says, walk with me and be complete. If we're walking with God, we're participating in a, in a relationship with God. And he says, you can ask anything and it'll be done for you. He goes on a few verses later in verse 16 and he says that God's intention is for your life to bear fruit. For your life to make this world a better place is what that means. And if you're doing that, you're attempting to do that, again, you can ask anything and God will do it for you. And so this idea of being bold in our prayer uh, it, it's nothing that ought to frighten us. A lot of us, I think, get this thing of, well, I haven't lived such a good life this week, so I'm afraid to pray. If I come to God, He might get mad at me. And that's exactly what the devil would want you to think. Because what God wants you to do is get close to Him so He can work good stuff in your life and He can bless you. Another scripture I want you to see is, is this business about judgment and judging the righteous along with the, the unrighteous. And in Matthew chapter 24, it's a prediction of the end of time. And a horrible judgment upon the earth. And the one thing the Lord says is, uh, He'll cut it all short. 
because he wants to spare the righteous people in the midst of it. That's what that verse is all about. So God's intent is to take care of people who are trying to walk with him and, and, and working out in love for him. So you can count on that in your own walk with God and in your own prayer life. Let's go to the next point here in the scriptures. The next question I have is, well, just how far can we press God? And uh, this is a crack up. This guy, Abraham, uh, ought to be a used car salesman or he ought to be a labor relationship uh, relations negotiator here uh, uh, or a union spokesman. It says in verse 27, Abraham spoke again. Well, since I have begun, let me go on and speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. Suppose there are only 45 righteous people. Would you still destroy the city for just lack of five? And the Lord said, I won't destroy it if I find 45. Then Abraham pressed the request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if there are 40. Uh, Please don't be angry with me, my Lord. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 are found. And the Lord replied, I won't destroy it if there are 30. Then Abraham said, Since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20 righteous people in the city. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't get angry. I'll speak but one more time. Suppose only 10 are found. And the Lord said, Well, then for the sake of the 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went on his way when he had finished the conversation with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his tent. I mean... Has this guy got brass or what? I like this. I like this. Let me, one more time. Let me, let me, you know, let's just talk this over. One more time. Just, just push it just a little further and a little further. And it gets down. If there's 10 out of the several thousand people that live in this community, I won't make some volcano go off next door and rain fire and brimstone on the town. I'll let it be. Turns out there's not even 10. That's what we're going to get into next week. But God spares the righteous people. He moves them out of town before he does the other thing. That's a whole other story. But I want you to think about uh, the fact that, and, and this, this has to do with what we're talking about today, praying on behalf of others. But there's, there's a broader application to our lives. Just praying, period. Press in. Press in. The Bible says in one place that if you search for me with all your heart, I will let you find me. It says in another place that God is looking around, trying to find people. He says it in this way. The eyes of the Lord search through the whole earth, going to and fro, looking for somebody whose heart is completely His, so He can bless that person. In other words, somebody that's, that's, that's getting close to God, pushing in on Him, is somebody that God wants to be in a relationship with. And that's, that's, that can be you and I. That can be you and I. You know, I was talking to somebody this morning who got a hold of this book that we've been giving away to new people and selling to the rest of you in the back there called uh, uh, Prayer, Getting What We Need from God. And in the first chapter of that book, I wrote about that prayer is oftentimes like a fishing net. And you know, if you have a net with, you know, large gauge net, big holes in it, a lot of fish are going to pass right through that net. But if you, can, if you can shrink the size of the holes in the net, if you can shrink the gauge of the net to where it becomes smaller and smaller... Uh, you're going to catch more fish. Well, that's true of our prayer life. A lot of times our prayer life has gaping holes in it. Sometimes they're torn holes. Sometimes it's, there's some sin going on in our life and we just get out of fellowship with God and we're not having much happen. But if we will work on repairing the nets and we'll work on tying things together, we're going to know the grace of God in our life and we can be 
we can we can press into God and press into seeing our needs met, and we can press in in praying for others and seeing God redeem people and bring them to Him. Does this make sense to you so far? Now, let's just kind of clarify things and tighten it up here because I'm going to jump away from Abraham and go into the New Testament. Abraham is is uh, is concerned because some of his friends and relatives live in Sodom. And they're basically righteous people. And he figures it out that God's going to judge the whole culture down there, the whole bunch of them. And so he's, he's selfishly praying this prayer, really. He's saying, spare the people that I love. And, and he's caring not so much about the non-believing people or the, the people who are doing some pretty despicable things. But he prays for the city on behalf of these people. I, I think that in some ways we're like Abraham in a, in a part of Abraham here that I wish we weren't like. And that's a, there's a selfishness about us. There's a, a tendency, I think, for Christians today to have this, this polarized relationship with the rest of the world. We look at people who don't know the Lord, and, and sometimes you see sort of self-righteous Christians looking down their nose at other people. You know what you and I need to get used to is, think about the worst person you know. I mean, I mean turn to somebody next to you and, and, and answer this question. What makes them so bad? Now, maybe it's that that's... Don't, don't say who they are, okay? But maybe it's your sister-in-law that comes to every family gathering and just ruins it for everybody else. Uh, maybe it's that person at work that's so vile and they're so much all caught up in pornography that it fills their speech and they're sexually offensive to everybody around. Maybe you actually know somebody that's feeding drugs to little kids to make money. I mean, who's bad? And God loves them as much as He loves you or me. And God intends to do good in that person's life as much as He intends to do good in my life or yours if He's given the chance. I'll tell you, one of the things that's really sick about Christianity and the current version of it is it's distanced itself from the people who mostly need to know God. And it's become judgmental and harsh. Uh, we, we've defined our political position, and anybody who disagrees with us becomes the enemy. And that's wrong. That's wrong. When we wrap ourselves up in a cloak of self-righteousness and, and we're down on everybody else, we're missing out on... You know, Jesus said, the last thing he said uh, to his disciples is, I have all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and my job is to tell you to go out and make disciples of everybody in this world. And that includes the person that you just spoke of. Hmm? The words that we're going to read here in First in Peter, I'd like for you to turn over to this passage of Scripture. Uh, we want to talk about three steps toward faith in others. And I want us to go to First Peter. My gosh, I lost it. Is it chapter 3? What do the notes say? First Peter 3. You know, I have this lady that I, I really had her going for a while. I, I, I study real hard on Thursdays, and I write pretty detailed notes. In fact, we post them on the website, little notes that you got here, tell you where you can go to the web to get them. And then I, I always kind of uh, shrink them down to what you get in your bulletin. And, um, and then on Friday nights, before church starts, I actually just come in here and scribble those notes into my Bible. I, I, I hold that off to the last thing, so it, it forces me to, you know, revive it in the brain while I'm writing it in the Bible. And uh, but, but so every Friday night I come in on my way in, and I and I grab a, a bulletin, 
and I take the notes out of it, and I stick it in here. I actually use that kind of as a bookmark. And uh, there's this one lady that she's she's pretty new Christian. This was about a year ago, and she always she's still there. She always greets everybody at the door, gives out the bulletins, and and I, I would start to come in every Friday night, and I go, oh man, I hope that thing is in the bulletin, isn't it? I got to make sure I got something to talk about tonight, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I, I go, it's really neat. You know, I just pick this up, and then I look at it, and I know what to say when I get up there. And I actually had her believe in me. <laughs> she's, a, she's from another culture, and she wasn't quite so sure about these Americans, and so I had her. Anyway, uh, three steps toward faith in others. And as we read uh, Peter's words here, let me, let me read them to you, and then I want to give you a little background, and then we'll, we'll draw the application. In verse 11, 1 Peter 3.11, he says, Turn away from evil and do good. Work hard at living in peace with others. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do what is right, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns His face against those who do evil. Let's go ahead and read verse 13. Who will want to harm you if you're eager, eager to do good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't be afraid and don't worry. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if you're asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But you must do this in a gentle and a respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. And then if people speak evil against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Better, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, uh, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Well, here's the background. Peter, the apostle, who was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, wrote this letter, because all of those epistles in the New Testament are actually are letters. He wrote this letter for general circulation among the churches at that time, which might mean that he spammed them. You know, it might be that there were several copies of the letter and they were sent all over the Mediterranean world, or it might actually be that he wrote one letter and it just got passed around. But what we have is a letter to the churches. And, and if you read through 1 Peter, the, the underlying theme of 1 Peter is how to, how to live while you're, while you're suffering and you're being persecuted for your faith. What we know is, as, as the, the first century was coming to a close, when Peter was written, when Revelation was written, some of these things, there was intense persecution against the church. Of the twelve disciples of Jesus, Jesus you know that Judas Iscariot committed suicide after he betrayed Jesus. But those that survived after the resurrection of Jesus, the other 11, 10 of them were martyred for their belief in the Lord. And the 11th, uh, John, died as a, as a slave in exile, breaking rocks on an island called Patmos. But it got worse. People were literally boiled in oil. There's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's probably, it's so old, it's like a thousand years old, it's, it's probably online. You probably could just type in Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and read this. Literally, they would boil people in oil. They would scald people to death with hot water. Or they would go in the, the Colosseum in Rome. See, Rome was breaking apart as a culture. It had, it had grown so uh, debauched that they couldn't get people to go to work and they, and they had huge unemployment and they were just uh, trying to entertain people to keep them from rioting. And, and so they had all these ungainly sports contests that were going on in the the Colosseum in Rome, and, and when that wasn't enough for people and they wanted more violence, they began to kill criminals in, in bizarre ways. And, and then they began to, they're persecuting the Christians already, they began to murder them 
in, in public in front of thousands of people. And it got so bad that they would, they would you know, go to the butcher market and get the skin of, of a lamb or a calf that had been killed that was still bloody on the inside and literally stitch it to the body of, of, of some people, whole families, children, women, men, everybody. They, they, they sew this, the cord right to your body. I mean, holes in your, your flesh, you're bleeding. The blood and the smell of the animals all over you, and they toss you in the arena and, and, and allow tigers from India into the arena, and everybody watches and cheers as you go to your death. It was literally a war between the Christians and the Roman Empire, the mighty Roman Empire, the most powerful empire in the world up until this day. And guess what? The Christians won. The Christians won the war. The Christians conquered Rome. The Christians conquered Europe. And you know how they did? by love, by grace, by blessing their enemies. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe.